When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. It is Rick in the Blue. We are back again here in the TSL offices for the fourth episode now of the TechSideline.com podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a great, great experience for us so far. We're having a lot of fun doing this, and so far we're having a lot of success with it. Uh, we're going to keep trying to improve it just about every week in every way we can. Um, guys, we actually have something to talk about. Will Stewart, Chris Coleman are here for us, uh, back here for this uh, this episode of the podcast. And Will, we'll go ahead and start with you. Will, just, you know, how excited were you to actually finally get the season going instead of just talking about the kind of the basic summer questions it seems like we had already addressed yeah we've, we've talked a lot on the site about uh um how much less information comes out of the program these days we've probably whined about it a little bit too much maybe and and in reality uh you know there was, there was a big flat made during the uh during the summer about when lsu showed up for their fall camp there was a misleading article that basically said that Ed Orgeron had shut off access to the media. That wasn't accurate. Um, I read another article later that said uh, LSU head coach Ed Orgeron, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. I read an article later that, that talked about the fact that Orgeron wasn't going to have his uh, coaches and players speak to the media, I believe. But then they laid out his press conference schedule, and it was very similar to Coach Fuentes. Yeah, it's actually very, very similar to what we have here in Blacksburg. So it, it's not – correct to say that Virginia Tech has quote-unquote shut off access to the program they they do what's very similar to other programs now you know um it's just Frank was very open with the program and that was unusual definitely so anyway the the reason I bring that up is now that things are normal and it's not part of the Frank <laughs> regime yeah. um it's uh it, it can be a really long wait between the bowl game and the first game and it reminds me of pre-internet days when I lived in Charlottesville, you know, way far away from Blacksburg. And, yeah, that the bowl game would end. Actually, when I lived in Charlottesville, they didn't play in many bowl games. But the bowl game would end, and um, it just seemed to take forever before the season started. So now you got three guys sitting here that work for TSL, and we're trying to generate content, football content, for eight months. And it's just really hard to do. Start running out of stuff to write. <laughs> you, you, you really do. And it was such a blast to finally have, you know, some something we were, could really sink our teeth into, an actual game, an actual preview, a matchup, everything that happened during the game, everything that was said after the game, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, and we go from – uh, fighting to find up to find content to what a friend of mine used to call drinking from a fire hose. I mean, man, I came back from FedEx and I didn't go to bed till one thirty after I watched <laughs> the game. I was up at seven the next morning just with the keyboard just going up until about four o'clock in the afternoon. And and even then, I don't think we got all the coverage done that we wanted to get done yesterday. So it's uh, but anyway, it's a lot of fun to be finally actually talking about stuff again. Chris, I know you edited uh, Will's kind of Tuesday thoughts or whatever we want to call it now. How many words did he end up finishing at? It was over, over forty one hundred. <laughs> and, and he, he thought it was going to be a little abbreviated. 
And yeah. I was not voice transcribing it either. I was typing it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so. Chris, you know how how exciting was it for you to finally actually have something to watch concrete? It's, it's good to have some tangible evidence, results, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you probably remember when I said this when we were driving up to the game, Will. I, I said that I understand. I'm starting to get an understanding of, of of why they don't let anybody into practice, and that's when you really think about it. Isaiah Ford played that boundary wide receiver role for Virginia Tech last year, and. We knew Cam Phillips was moving into an outside receiver role, but was he going to move to the boundary or was he going to move to the field side? Uh, you don't know that. Nobody knows that unless Virginia Tech tells them or lets people into practice to, to let them know, and there's no way West Virginia completely knows that either. The other thing, Sean Savoy played most of that game at outside receiver, yes, even he though did, he's was... listed on the depth chart yeah. as a slot. There's no way West Virginia knew that was going to happen, and those are some of the reasons that – they shut off practice access completely, and I don't I don't have a problem with that. I mean I mean seeing now some of the things that they're doing, and, and so people talk about coaches being paranoid. Let's remind our listeners that this was a one score game that ended with an incompletion in the end zone by the opposition. So yes, coaches are paranoid. Every tiny little thing could matter. You know who who knows if the decision to run the program the way they run it was the difference between a win and a loss and what was an important game as the the media guy in the room i'm gonna i mean obviously you guys know where i stand on that the more access the better but i do at least understand that perspective that yeah if you know that sean savoy is actually going to play i don't know 60 percent of his snaps on the outside maybe more maybe you do change up the gameplay a little bit i i, I definitely understand that uh, one of the things I wanted to get into to, to kind of start this this uh, this episode of the TSL podcast was the general FedEx field experience. And I know that, Will, this is something that you addressed in your article on Tuesday. Um, just kind of, you know, give us a rundown of your, a, a, a quick rundown of your experience at FedEx and, and uh, if it was enjoyable for you. Somebody else was driving, so I can't tell you how we approached the stadium. I wasn't paying any attention. I was hanging out in the back of the Suburban. And, um, you know, you get uh, they said they were going to open the, the lots at 3.30. And we got – I could see the stadium in, in the way we were driving in, and then, bam, we just hit uh, – we didn't hit traffic. We hit a parking lot, yeah, exactly. you know, out, out yeah. in the road. So uh, everybody, everything came to a dead stop. And this was probably about 2.30, quarter or 3.00. So where we were, it was West Virginia fans and Virginia Tech fans. It was two lanes going in, and everybody just piled out of their cars and started just hanging out. Um, I'm not going to call it a tailgate because they said, didn't set up tables and but stuff. Was there was a, a table tailgate. set up a few cars. <laughs> was there, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so we're all out there. You know, we're tailgate. eating our fried chicken and drinking our beers, and, you know, just uh, the tailgate started early. And then uh, one of the people in our group had the Google traffic app, so we were watching – because somebody said, as soon as this backs up to 495, they'll open the gates. And sure enough, at 315, the Google traffic app showed it backing up to 495, and they opened the gates uh, 15 minutes early. We got in there no problem, and we actually got a really good parking space. We were right next to the stadium. But, you know, without going on and on and on about it, um, it's just not a fan-friendly experience. It's also um, not a media-friendly experience. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> not, not enough porta-potties, and there, there are a bunch of stories about people going into the woods and things like that, and I saw that myself. Yeah. Um, and just, just a general vibe of, um, from the FedEx people of, 
you people are a pain in the butt. Watch your football game, buy your beers, and then get out of here. You know, <laughs> yeah. don't cause any trouble while you're here. Um, and and I go back. I've, I've taken my family to Disney World a couple of times, and and it's amazing. Disney excels at making sure you have a really good time and that you're well taken care of. And it's the exact opposite of that. It's Definitely that the exact opposite. Yeah. Chris, did, did you, I know that you were with Will for a lot of the. Mm. The trip, did you kind of come away with the similar yeah, vibe? I would be a little bit upset if I lived in one of those nice townhouses right outside the stadium where traffic was stopped in front of and, and there's people <laughs> all in my yard drinking, basically. Yeah. I, I don't think that's very discourteous of FedEx Field for those people that live around the stadium, and I'm sure they get complaints about that. Uh, I'd also like to say that for a fan base that is used to going down next to the field and high-fiving their players after a win as they're going off the field. The fact that I was not allowed down there in the front. I yeah. mean, I sat on the 20th, in the 20th row. So, you know, it's not like I'm in the upper decks and exactly. I'm trying to get down to the front. But, you know, it's just – it's it's like they go out of your their way to, to make sure you don't have a good time. And I understand I understand where they're coming from from, the, from a limited time to tailgate perspective. You know, they don't want there to be incidents in the parking lot and everything like that. But the longer you make people sit and wait in traffic, or you know, with no porta johns and there's nothing to do. I mean, there were seven of us in, in our vehicle, right? Yeah. I did not want to sit in the – and I had a cooler on my lap. You know, I mean, I felt like I was in an elevator. I had to get out of that vehicle and wander around in the middle of the median strip. There was no, no other option for me. And I just don't think that's good. I mean, and, just, and, and bluntly put, there were guys going between buildings in a yeah, neighborhood. Exactly in a neighborhood. Yeah, you know? I mean, I mean, and you don't have another. You don't have any other options. I mean, you, sometimes you gotta go. You gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> For me, the two biggest things that I noticed were first of all, obviously the traffic. Uh, we our our hotel for my myself and Ivan, uh, who Russian hokey on the boards. Uh, we were about ten miles from FedEx Field, and uh, the normal. Redskins photographers who shoot at FedEx, they also shot that game. They were telling Ivan that it normally would take them 40 minutes to get from that area to the stadium on a Redskins game day. Yeah. It took us two and a half hours. Wow. And um, once we got to the media lot, it was a pretty hefty walk uphill, uh, which was not fun. Um, but And then the other thing I noticed, and as a Redskins fan, this really, really gets my goat. Those barriers on the upper bowl of FedEx where they took out all those seats, it looks really sloppy in person. Yeah. And FedEx does not have a good look in person from a cosmetic standpoint. I mean, they're they're not even solid concrete barriers. They're just fences that are that, that have blocked off those seats. And from a TV perspective, it looks like those are solid blocks. But when you get in person... They're basically tarps, right? Kind of, kind yeah. Of, I mean, kind of it, a they, wrapped over fences. They or? basically serve the, the same purpose. And to, to me, that was really disappointing. It, it's, you know, as someone who went to FedEx a lot in the in the early 2000s as a kid, it was kind of disappointing to see what FedEx has become. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you that uh, attending the game as a, as a ticket purchaser, as a fan, if you will, um, I, I'm not inclined to go to another one there. And I think that's probably true of a lot of Hokie fans. One of the things I want to talk about was would you, like, if – if there was another game at FedEx, a neutral site game against a team like a West Virginia, a, a, a good Power Five opponent, would you guys be inclined to go? Certainly not if it was Cincinnati like it was back in 2012. <laughs> of course, they're not a Power yeah, Five opponent. Yeah, not anymore. Um, if it was Alabama, no, I wouldn't go. <laughs> but that's that's an Alabama issue. Um, 
you know, you'd have to make that call on a game by game basis. But that that it is, sounds like you would be inclined, you'd be lean towards the no, right? And maybe change your mind, right? Well, part of that was the game was on Sunday night, you know, and for for a guy my age, early fifties, trying to write a large article about the team, just the whole, and I'm sure this is true of a lot of people that had to go to work Tuesday, just the whole process of getting up there, getting in. Getting back out, getting home—that's that, a drain, you know. And it was and, definitely a drain for me. <laughs> and I know that a lot of fans like to pace themselves as they go through the season. And it's uh, what are we? It's Wednesday afternoon, and I'm I'm still really tired, you know. And we got we got eleven more regular season games to go. Bud Foster, you need some sleep. Bud Foster said yesterday, yeah, he felt like it was mid October or something like. Yeah. That. Well, it was yeah. funny. He was talking when he left the the, the the media interview session. When he first got there, he was like, "Have y'all slept yet?" Yeah. And then as he's leaving, he's walking out. He said, "Make sure y'all get some rest, man." I know. I mean, you it know, was, and and it's you know the, the the coaches and the players put a lot into it, but so do the fans. And I'm not just talking money. Yeah, this is time. this is this is tough for the fans too. You know, it it, it takes something out of the fans. I mean, sh- strictly speaking, from a media perspective, I didn't get to bed until 5 a.m. that yeah. night after I had finally gone through made made some some uh, edits to my my gamer, uh, gotten some photos up on the server, made a a, a big post on the message boards. It wasn't until 5 a.m. until I was asleep, and it yeah. was—I mean, it, it was—it was really rough getting up the next day and having to drive back. Um, would you guys much prefer to have a, a neutral site game at either M&T Bank in Baltimore, or I know Chris would love more neutral site games in Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. and I think we would all like that because I know I love that city. Uh, I, I would really—I would love the Charlotte option. That's an easy drive from where I live in Radford. M&T Bank Stadium—that's—that's that's a long way away. Um, it is, but it's in that similar area. So if you're going to have a neutral site game in the DMV area, at least to me, it makes more sense to have it at M&T Bank because it's a nicer stadium. I think that the fan experience would be a little bit better. Uh, and just uh, overall, I think it would be a better better look for Tech in, instead of playing at, at FedEx. Well, I remember Tech and Maryland were going to play there. Yeah, that's yeah right. I remember that. Yeah, yep. um, I don't know if as many Tech fans would go. It just depends on who you're playing. Um, I would go back to FedEx if we're playing West Virginia or Penn State. I'm not. I'm not going to go back. Penn State at FedEx would be a good game. I don't know. I'd be less inclined to go back if, like you said, we're playing Cincinnati again. I will say that despite the fact that we've spent the last 15 minutes railing on the fan experience, I did have a really good time. I mean, we, we, we beat West Virginia. It was I mean, a good game. How could you not have great a great game? I, you know, I would do things differently this time. I, I would. I would not get a parking pass in one of the FedEx field lots. I would park in private property somewhere and have and. Just pay cash for it. Just pay cash for it and kind of do what I want to at my own pace and everything like that. And, you know, I, I think I think now that I've experienced that, you know, I went to the 2004 USC game. I did not go to the Boise game. I did not go to the Cincinnati game. And I, I, I have a vague recollection of it taking a long time to get in the lots that day for USC. But it's been so long ago that, that I'd forgotten, basically. But now that I know, I, I would just, you know, I, I would do things differently next time. You mentioned that obviously it was a good game on Sunday night. I think we all kind of enjoyed just watching the game, you know, just from a college football fan uh, perspective. Let's not recap the game as much as let's talk about some of the biggest positives from this game. Chris, go ahead and give me your biggest positive, the best plus for Tech that you saw on Sunday night. Well, uh, throwing out Josh Jackson. I mean, I, th- well, I, mean, I, think, hey, that's the, I think Josh that's is kind of obvious. Answer. I have him written down, so uh, yeah, obviously. Um, so I, I think I'm going to go with uh, – the performance of the offensive line. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but they only allowed one sack. 
Um, when the Tech needed to run the ball in the, in the last couple drives of the game, they, they were able to get a push. Uh, you know, there was one time when this, there was a sideline warning, or not a sideline warning, but a sideline penalty, and Tech was facing, what, second and 30? First and 30, I first, believe fir- it was. First and 30. And did they end up getting that first down? They did end up converting. It was on a penalty. It, it was on a, a defensive pass it, interference. Right. But, right. but they, they went from first and 30 to something along the like, lines of a third and nine. Right. And, which is incredible. Yes. And uh, so, you know, I think the, the, the ability to uh, stand up to West Virginia in the trenches over those, over those last couple drives offensively was critical. Uh, I mean – you know, and obviously you look at uh, the Josh Jackson touchdown run where he rushes right up the middle and there's nothing but air there. I mean, that that's exactly what you're looking for. It was not a dominating performance, but it was – Tech outrushed West Virginia. They rushed for well, all over 200 yards. And if they if they rush for over 200 yards a game this year, they're going to be tough. They're going to win a lot of football the, games. The running game was actually was my biggest positive for them. They had 45 carries for 246 yards. And that's over five yards of carry, folks, and that's three rushing touchdowns. The uh, rushing touchdown by Josh Jackson, if you go back and watch that, Wyatt Teller never blocked anybody. Yeah, yeah you he, know, he, he, he went through the hole looking for people, and there was nobody, nobody there. there. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of that Brendan Motley touchdown run against Boston College last year, except it was much shorter. But on that play, Kyle Chung was playing center at the time, and he goes through the middle, and he basically ran 40 yards downfield and didn't hit anybody. And Brendan Motley was right behind him with his hand <laughs> on his back the whole time, like 40 yards downfield. So uh, Truck and trailer blocking, man. Exactly. So, you know, it was enjoyable to me. And, you know, nothing will ever match up to the to the 1996 Tech offensive line. I know a few old-school Tech fans remember that one, but uh, – but it, it was, it's pretty good. It's a lot better than it used to be, that's for sure. Will, go ahead and give me your biggest positive. Uh, you know, this isn't an original thought, but I thought the uh, the way that the special teams controlled field position was uh, was huge. And, and both of you guys talked about how important that would be heading into that game. Yeah, and, and you know, something that only a few people talked about was, if I'm, you know, help me if I'm not remembering things correctly, but Virginia Tech's first touchdown, Oscar Bradburn, punted a punt that hit and rolled down inside the WVU 10. WVU didn't pick up a first down, and their response of a punt was something like 35 yards. And I think Tech started around the 45. On the, on the, I, can't, I think it was right, the 47 yeah. and then went down and scored it. And that was right before halftime, mm-hmm. you know. And Bradburn's punt was 54 yards. West Virginia's punt was 35 yards. You gained 19 right there, you know, and it gets you going down to score a touchdown. Um. Just when you've got Joey Sly just crushing the ball out of the end zone, and you know that the other team's going to start on the twenty-five every time, you got Bradburn averaging forty-five yards a kick with no return, and you're not turning the ball over. It's 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 uh, demoralizing is too strong a word, but it's a real challenge to a team. It's hard for a hard for your opponent to get fired up and get in a groove if they're constantly looking at. 70 or 80 or more Definitely. yards to go. Yeah, I mean, even even one of the punts that, that Bradburn hit that went for a touchback, it nearly was down at the one. I mean, yeah, it, it right. bounced yeah. inside the five, and it rolled maybe a, a yard and a half, two yards into the end zone. So, I mean, they, they were looking at either a, another long drive where they were had to go 90-plus yards. Uh, Will, I know you wanted to get in kind of the warning signs of this game because there obviously were some big negatives in this game. We can't overlook those. Uh, what, what was kind of the big warning sign to you that you saw in this game? Well, there's a warning sign. You, did, you didn't see it Sunday night um, because he played well. But just got to remind everybody, Josh Jackson is a redshirt freshman who, who has played one college football game. 
there's now some film on him. Yeah. So opposing teams know what to expect. And, uh, you know, in my article that I wrote yesterday, I said, you know, I, I remember when Michael Brewer played his first, well, second game. He played his second game against Ohio State and played a great game. And I remember writing, you know, this was a great game. He's going to have a rough game somewhere along the line where he'll throw two or three picks. And I got an email from somebody who said, well, what makes you think that? He, he played great. <laughs> well, you know, and then two or, two or three. Because, you know, the guy, it, it happens. Yeah. particularly Every single time. Now, Brewer wasn't a young guy. He was relatively inexperienced. But Josh is in the same situation where he doesn't have a lot of experience. And it's going to happen, you know. So kind of file that one away, especially as you get to the Clemson game and, and, and other conference games later on. And then the other thing I thought was uh, – uh, and, and I'd like to get your opinion on this. I didn't see much push from the backup defensive lineman at all. It, I def- it, yeah, it definitely really didn't look good. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I do. Th- I will say that I think West Virginia is probably one of the best two or three offensive lines they'll face all season. But, you know, it's funny. The announcers kept saying that the interior WVU li- uh, WVU's line was their weak spot. Uh, and- relatively speaking, I mean, yes. But some teams just reload. I mean – the West Virginia defense, they've lost eight starters each of the last two years. And they look pretty good. And they look pretty good. I mean, it, I mean, it's sometimes sometimes losing returning, losing starters is a good thing. <laughs> sometimes your backups after an extra year of development are better. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought Tim Settle and Ricky Walker, when they were fresh, got, got Which got was pushed. early on. And, Which, of course, the Tech's defense looked better in that time. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Um, now, I'm not pretending that it's not an issue, because it is, and we've always said it was going to be an issue. I mean, yeah, we have. You've got two redshirt freshmen, backup, defensive tackles, and then they played Xavier Burke some, too, who's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, you've just got a full, a two-deep full of uh, guys who just haven't played before, and it's going to take a while, and, and I, that's why I'm really glad this next stretch of games is coming up. I'm, I think Delaware presents a great opportunity and this is taking nothing away from Delaware we'll talk about them later but I don't want to play Ricky Walker and Tim Settle more than 20 or 25 snaps in this game for two reasons number one it saves the wear and tear for the rest of the rest of the year right? yeah I mean we saw what happened to Tech's defensive line last year as the season went on they got banged up they all have one arm popping out, <laughs> right the less they play earlier in the season the better they'll be later in the season and number two you got to get those backups some work and try to get them as good as you possibly can can get them. And and you know I don't like saying this about East Carolina because I've always had a lot of respect for East Carolina and and they've they've beaten Virginia Tech a decent amount of times recently. But that's a bad football team that got run off the field by James Madison last week. And what have they lost? Like ten of their last eleven games? Or they've lost ten of their last eleven. And it wasn't just that they lost to JMU. It's that. Uh... They were down 34-7 to mm-hmm. until they scored with 23 seconds left to go. And JMU had 614 yards of offense. And the JMU, fans was with five, JMU was missing five starters, apparently. Mm. The fans yeah. with pitchforks are starting to come out in Greenville, definitely. Uh, well, yeah. it's, it's not good over so there right now. I think Delaware and, this, and ECU and, to a certain extent, Old Dominion, that this is the three most important weeks of the season coming up. And I know people don't believe that when they see Clemson and Pittsburgh and North Carolina and whoever else on, on the schedule. But as far as developing the positions that need to be developed, depth at wide receiver, depth on the defensive line, you're going to get that opportunity over the next three weeks. That you, and you're not, and you, you've got to get it done because you're not going to have that opportunity later. 
and, and there, there's a there's a risk in displaying a certain amount of arrogance about who you're playing next and how you're going to do against them. Um, everybody thought Tech was a great team after they beat Ohio State, and turns out they weren't. Um, no, they were not. You know, so uh, if you want to talk about warning signs, maybe that's one to not take too much away from the West Virginia win. Be happy with it. It was a great win, and there are a lot of promising signs. But this is still a young football team that's being molded in the image that, that uh, Justin Fuente wants. Um, this, is, this is a long process. It's not over. It's not over yet. Hey, look, we beat West Virginia. Fuente's here. He's got it going. <laughs> uh, you know, still a work in progress. Yeah, uh, Ricky, let me jump in here and point something out. Uh, Will, I remember uh, you talking about this in hindsight. But remember that opening game in 2003 when McCall Baki missed that tackle against the UCF running back? Yeah, in and, the open field. It, right, and and that was a play that all of Tech's linebackers would have made in the past, you know. Yeah. And, and we should have known at the time that that was a sign that, man, this Tech defense just isn't as talented as it has been the last few years. But, you know, when you start off 5 or 6-0, and oh, you, you kind of forget that. Right in the top Winning five. cures everything. And, it always yeah. does. And then you go to Morgantown on a Wednesday night and get smacked in the mouth by a team that actually has talent. And you're like, man, yeah. I guess those warning signs we saw when we gave up 28 points to UCF and when our linebackers couldn't tackle UCF running backs. And remember, this was a time when UCF hadn't been a Division One A program for very long. Yeah. Uh, so you, you look at that, and no, nobody really wanted to address those issues back, back then because Virginia Tech was just four years off from a national championship game appearance. Uh, the stadium was sold out every game. Uh, you know, some, some people would say you weren't a true Hokie or whatever if you, if, if you wanted to point out negatives. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that, that's one of the times where we got taught a lesson. And, and so let's not make that mistake again. I mean, the issues that we saw against West Virginia, well – Guess what? We're going to face a better team than West Virginia on September 30th. or, or And, or and maybe not some better ones beyond, but some good ones but, beyond. But some good ones, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I will say, and I'm, I'm not the type to, to sit here and say, oh, you know, let's look ahead to Clemson or everything like that, but Virginia Tech should win these next three football games. I mean, there's, you're not going to find anybody that will tell you differently than that. And assuming that they do, you're going to go into Clemson with a lot of hype. You're going to go into North Carolina and Pitt and all those games with a lot of hype. But unless we get better on the defensive line, unless we have more than two wide receivers catch a pass in a game, the, the, those issues want, yeah. will rear their ugly heads at some point this season. Yes, they will. I mean, one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that, A, a Bud Foster defense gave up almost 600 yards of offense, and, B, Bud Foster didn't seem that upset about it. After the game, he was just kind of like, well, you know, we're facing spread offenses, Big 12, it's modern college football, and he just didn't seem that upset about it. And, and I don't know if it's because they only gave up 24 points, but personally, I believe that West Virginia should have at least scored 30 in that game. Because if you think about it, they had a chip shot field goal, they gave up because they tried to go forward on fourth down early on. Mm -hmm. Then you had a guy who was, or they were in field goal range, I believe they had a holding call, and then they had the penalty on Dana Holgerson, mm -hmm. and that pushed them out of field goal range. So that's at least six points right there. And I think that Greer they should have had. Yeah, and I think early in the game was when Greer was getting warmed up, he just overthrew a lot exactly. of the receiver. Exactly. So, so they should have given up more than twenty-four points on Sunday night, and I do think that there is some cause for concern on that defense. Even though I think we'd all agree West Virginia's offense is pretty good, 
The second thing was Joey Sly is missing two field goals inside 40 yards. Will, you had a good tweet about that. I can't remember the exact stat. But, uh, but before Sunday night, in, from 39 yards and in, so inside 40 yards, he was 45 of 49, and then he went one of three uh, and, from inside. And one of those would have iced the game. Yeah. The the one, I guess it would have been with, what, uh, two and a half minutes left, something yeah, along those lines. I mean, that was inside 40 yards. He kicks that. Tech cruises to a, a, at least a, a three-point win. Um, the other thing, and Chris, like you mentioned, is that there were it was almost zero production at wideout other than Cam Phillips and Sean Savoy. Um, receivers not named, not those two guys caught just four passes. Yeah. We had zero catches from Khalil Pimpleton, Eric Kuma, James Clark, Philip Patterson, Hezekiah Grimsley, all of those guys who were rumored to be in the mix for, for wide receiver reps, none of them had a catch. Now, granted, not many of them had a target either. I don't think most of them got in the game. Yeah, exactly. It's really worrisome. Exactly. So if, if these guys aren't even playing at this point, to me, that is a problem. It's shot. It was. I was. Well, I won't say shocking because that's that's the wrong term. But I did not expect to see Sean Savoy lined up on the outside for for so many of his snaps, especially more so than James Clark. He was playing over James Clark for a lot of the night. And Eric Kuma, who's supposedly exactly. the starter out there. Um. So how good is Eric Kuma really? If a five nine true freshman has beaten him out for is the as the top outside receiver after Cam Phillips. So and a couple things there. They I think they targeted Kuma twice and he was gloved up when they threw to him and the other thing but the other thing is it, it's a one game sample size and i'm not sure how differently they did things because they were facing a three three five stack that's correct maybe we'll find out over the next few games um and the other thing that was missing and i talked about this in my article is dalton Keene, and he and he throws to the i don't back. think he had zero target i think didn't he had even no have, targets i did i did see him go out one time and do a little turnaround and stand there and they didn't throw there, to there, him there was one play where jackson rolled out to the right and Keen run kind of an out out pattern, out pattern, and I think he was the the number one receiver there. But I don't think Jackson felt comfortable throwing it with maybe where the safeties were positioned, or yeah. maybe he didn't have a good angle on the pass or something like that. But uh, that play, it seemed like Keen was the number one target, and I think Jackson just threw that one away. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see is as we move through these next three games, if Dalton Keen becomes more of a a featured guy there. Let's go ahead and move on to the Delaware game. Um, just some. I, I'm not. I'm assuming the readers don't have a ton of knowledge of Delaware. I'm not sure what you guys. Have Nor researched. do I. <laughs> but I did take a couple notes before we recorded. One of the things I read was that this defense returned ten starters from last season. Now, granted, we've always had the discussion of is that a good thing? Because are those starters any good? But at least you know their experience. And with the youth on uh, on Tech's offense. Will, could you see a scenario where the, the Tech offense comes out a little flat? Oh, I think so. Um, you know, they they probably left a lot on the field Sunday night. Um, you know, games like – openers like that can take a lot out of you. And that's when coaches get into discussing depth. And that's why coaches like to have depth. When you when you fight these wars early in the season, they, they don't take so much out of you. Um, I – and this is no insult to the coaches or the players or even the fans, but I just think things are probably going to be – it's going to be a little bit of a come down. You know, uh, I still feel comfortable that Tech will win, but it's not going to surprise me at all. You go back and look at the Liberty game last year, and, uh, you know, Tech didn't play a great game offensively in that game. Uh, I think they fumbled a lot. Uh, that, that's that's yeah, that's a thing. But they just they just weren't sharp. I think they only had 30-some points against Liberty, and, and if they played that game later on in the year, they would I believe it was 36. Is that something sound like right? that. 
it wouldn't surprise me, even though they just put 31 on a good West Virginia defense, it wouldn't surprise me to see them in the 30s against Delaware, you know, maybe. Yeah, I agree with that. Delaware's well coached now. I mean, Rocco spent, what, the last 10 years or so as the head coach at Liberty in Richmond? I believe he took Richmond to the NCAA tournament in back-to-back seasons. Three three years in a row, I think, two top 10 finishes and a top five finish. His teams have never had a losing season when he's head coach. Exactly. And, you know, he's spent quite a bit of his coaching career in the state of Virginia, so he knows Virginia Tech's personnel pretty well. Um, I... Delaware has not been a particularly good team recently, but they have a great history. I think they won a couple of national titles back in the 80s. Back in the day, they used to run a wing tee all the time. I've got a buddy from Delaware that I went to college with who is now a high school coach in Delaware, and he said a bunch of the Delaware high school teams back in the day ran in the ran the wing tee because they were all feeder schools. And the reason Delaware was so good is because they'd get all these guys in from Delaware high schools, and they already knew the Delaware They already knew the wing they, day, yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is, I mean, not something easy to learn. Exactly. It was, it was, a, it was a great program. Uh, you know, it's, and obviously, the, you know, the wing tee doesn't r- really stack up in, in, in modern terms, so they had to move on from that. So they're not as good a program as they used to be, but still have a very good tradition. Yeah. Uh, one of the probably one of the best defenses in in one AA. I mean, they shut down Delaware State last week. Um, I think Virginia Tech will be sloppy in this game. I, I don't know how you could avoid not not being sloppy. I mean, if you have uh, less time to prepare, uh, you're not going to have a physical week of practice. The emotional come down, as as uh, as Will put it, going from playing in that FedEx field atmosphere. You know, not to say that Lane's going to going to be a poor atmosphere on Saturday, but course, it's yeah. going to be a different feeling. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting Tech to be firing on all cylinders. If, if they are, I'll be pretty impressed, actually, even though yeah. it's an FCS team. <laughs> yeah, this is a great opportunity for the Tech defense to bounce back. I mean, Delaware scored 22 points in week one against Delaware State, which is obviously not a, a, a great program. Um, if, if the defense does kind of have that bounce back game and this is kind of comfortably in hand, how much do you think that these backups should play? I know, Chris, you alluded to this earlier. Will, how much do you think we should see guys like Jimmy Taylor and Jared Hewitt and Manuel Belmar, Housing Gaines, maybe even the linebackers, Devontae Beckett, uh, maybe some Dylan Rivers, you know, some of those guys? I think I think the guys, you know, it's funny. You, you, I was getting ready to answer the question, and then you mentioned the linebackers. And it just, if you watch Bud Foster, he just doesn't take his linebackers out. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets all the way through three quarters, unless this is an extreme blowout. It wouldn't surprise me to see Tremaine and, and Matua Pawaka through three quarters. Yeah. So thanks for bringing that up. That'll be something to watch. The guys I would really protect are, are Walker and Settle. Um, I might play Trayvon Hill a little more just to get him more experience. He's not a... a, a a, a real experienced guy, but uh, so I'd be more inclined to protect the defensive tackles. And you know, in, in prepping for this, we were talking about it, and um, I don't know if you're going to see the backup defensive tackles in line play 50% or more of the snaps. Um, I would not, yeah, uh, I don't think it's going to be that many, but uh, those are the two guys I'd look out for is Walker and Settle. I would play the defensive line, the backup defense line, as much as I could in this game. Yeah. I mean, I we obviously saw that on Sunday night. They were out there for a single-digit number of snaps. They need to be out there for way more than that in this game. Yeah, so 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 think about it this way. You, you get your starting DL in there. It's first down, and you throw the running back for a three-yard loss. Get the starting DL off the field. It's second and 13. Bring your backups in. 
you know, and because and Delaware is probably going to have to drop back. So you try to win that battle with your defensive backs and linebackers and keep that starting DL off the field as much as possible. Well, you know, we, we say that not knowing what pace the Delaware exactly. runs. Exactly. You might not at. be yeah, able yeah, to substitute. Who knows, yeah. That was one of the interesting things that I thought that they talked about on uh, on Sunday night was the fact that the West Virginia tempo was so fast. Yeah. And one of the telling comments from Tuesday's media availability, at least to me, was that Tim Settle talked about how they prepared for the quick tempo of West Virginia. But he said that the tempo that they saw on Sunday night was a lot faster than what they prepared for, and he felt like that they could have prepared at a faster pace. And I thought that was really interesting that if you know a team's going to be running at, as Bud Foster put it, a Syracuse-like pace, which we saw last season, why would you not prepare those guys at that pace instead of maybe a pace that, in, in, in Bud Foster's words, a North Carolina pace? I think you can try, but when it comes down to it, Jack Click isn't Will Greer. That's very true. And, and, yeah. and, and, and he probably and, doesn't have as much experience running. Exactly, and whoever Tech's scout team running backs are uh, – you know, they're not those West Virginia Coleman, guys. Fox, yeah, exactly. some of those guys. And Tech and you know, Tech doesn't barely has starting receivers, much less their scout team receivers. They can't simulate those West the speed of those West Virginia receivers. So to really simulate the pace, you you actually have to give up some yards and a few completions and things like that, and let West Virginia get rolling. And honestly, Tech scout team offense can't touch the defense. It's yes, just... so there, there's a difference between pace and intensity. Maybe they mirrored the pace, but they just couldn't mirror the intensity, the yeah, pressure yeah, of West true. Virginia. Yeah. It's like Georgia Tech. You, you hear Bud Foster say this every year. There's only so much you can simulate about Georgia Tech in practice. You can simulate their plays, but you can't simulate the speed at which they run their plays because yeah. your scout team, you know, it's just not – they're not going to have the intensity and the talent level and everything like that. Well, that and their their offensive linemen are just completely different types of linemen. I sure. mean, they're they're always smaller and more athletic. Whereas mm-hmm. Tech obviously wants to recruit some bigger guys. Obviously, so, so Georgia Tech is, is just a completely different thing. And I thought and I thought it was interesting how last year, I think it was Witt talked about how they had tried to schedule something with Army, or or, or one of the the military academies because they wanted something to prepare for Georgia Tech. Oh yeah, everybody who plays Georgia Tech wants to schedule Army. I don't and blame them. I, w- yeah. I would do it too. Georgia yeah. Southern and yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to some over unders for this game on Saturday versus Delaware. I know we did this last week, and I want to continue to do this because I think it's an interesting interesting section. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with an easy one. Over under. I set it at forty one and a half points scored by Virginia Tech. I think that that's a relatively fair number. This is an FCS team. They dropped 31 on West Virginia. Uh, they're playing at home. Will, I'll go ahead and give, kick it to you first. Over, under on 41 and a half. Dang, that's a good number. Um, Thank you. I'm getting better at this. Somebody needs to hire me in Vegas. Let's go uh, Let's go slightly over. I talked about okay. expecting that the offense might be a little flat, but uh, don't discount special teams, you know, uh, uh Tech might have a kick return, might have a block. If this punt. is a game, James Clark might might return one back. Right. Maybe it's maybe or, it's this game. Just from a pure pure field position standpoint, again, they might put Tech yeah. in, in in short shorter fields. Yeah, and, yeah. Than even what they saw against West Virginia, exactly. which were already short fields. Yep. So I'd I'd go with the over on the on the number of points. Chris, I'm I'm gonna go under. Okay. Um, I just expecting a bit of a step back this week. I wouldn't call it a step back. I think it's just a natural, not natural regression to the mean you're playing an fcs opponent uh you're tired uh you're probably still physically sore at that point yeah that was uh, a physical game that was a physical football game uh 
I, I just, uh, I mean, I think Tech will win the game comfortably. I could certainly see them going over, but, you know, I, I'm thinking around in the range of 38 points or something like that. Let's stick on offense. Let's go ahead and go with Sean Savoy. He had four catches for 40-plus yards against West Virginia. Over under five-and-a-half receptions for Sean Savoy in this game. I'm going to go under. I think he'll get five. Okay. I'll hope, go, I hope I'm wrong, but I think I'll, I'll, go, I'll go under. Uh, I think probably a better way to phrase your question is touches because they're going to use him in the running That's game. That's very too. true. It's very true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, for catches, I'll, I'll go under. Uh, for overall touch, touches, I'll, I'll go over. I would go over on this just because I think we're going to see a ton of passes thrown in the second half if they're up comfortably. But they may not even be thrown by Josh Jackson, but they're going to try and get as many looks to those young receivers as possible, and I really don't blame them. Uh, All right, let's move to the defensive side of the ball now. Let's go to points scored by Delaware. I have it set at 12.5 over under. Will, go to you. Mm -hmm. 12.5 for Delaware. 12 and a half, man. 12 and a half. Dirty. <laughs> Stop putting those halves on it. Well, uh, hey, that's the whole point. You can't have any pushes, man. I'll go under. I'll go with 10. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Okay, okay. Uh, we'll stick on the defensive side of the ball. Two and a half turnovers forced by Virginia Tech. Uh, let's see. I will go with... Uh, I'll go with over. I'll go under and even two. I'm gonna go are, under. Are we gonna start keeping up with these? We probably should. We we what, go. What yeah, were the so, questions so, last week? Text turnovers last week, right? It was a two, and I, I went under, so I got yeah, it last week. And I'm pretty sure I went under too. Okay. But and I I jabbed Will on Twitter about that. Oh yeah. But we have to give credit to Will. Yep. Will your your prediction was 31-24. You had it on point, and you predicted the Belk Bowl score correctly. So, in that case, we have to ask you what your prediction for this game is because we have to see if the streak's going to keep going. So, go ahead and give me, a, give me a final score. I know you haven't done a ton of research into Delaware at this point, but your magic is probably still still plenty there. Well, remember, folks, this is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> um, wow, 41 to 10 sounds so gaudy, you know, because you asked over and under on points, and, and I basically said 41 to 10. Yeah, uh, that sounds more gaudy than what I'm actually expecting. So, but but there it is. You know, it's I can't say anything else. And once now that I've answered the over under questions, I got to say forty one to ten. Okay, thirty eight to ten. I was gonna go thirty eight ten too. Thirty eight ten. We're all like pretty it. much on the same yeah, page. Yeah. Though. Uh-huh. It winds up being that way. If you read our game previews, you know that uh, when we do our when we do our predictions in our game previews, we don't look at each other's predictions, and then afterwards you're like, well, we all picked the same thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we speaking. actually all re- write our predictions separately, and then I compile yeah. them all together and, and post the preview. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but but I, I think we're all kind of expecting the same kind of game. Maybe not the same score, but the same relatively kind of game on Saturday, where Tech has some some really good things, wins comfortably, but still shows that they have some kind of the, the those chinks in the armor. Is that kind of the vibe? Yeah. So so if you, I mean Clemson smashed Kent State fifty six to three. Yeah. You know, and and I re- I remember looking at that and thinking that's what Virginia Tech used to do. They used to come into a season with a brand new quarterback and just roll some team, and they don't do it anymore. You know, and and Clemson I think is they're a little bit beyond where Virginia Tech used to be in the early two thousands because they actually won a national championship. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that and they I think they were they're recruiting better than Tech ever did in that time period. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm not seeing 50, 56 to 3 kind of things, you know. Um, so, 41 10. I'm looking forward to seeing more of the young guys play. I, I, 
I, I really want to see more of Deshaun McLeese. I was impressed by him the other night. You know, not just the tackles he broke on that one touchdown run, but the other one when he ran up the middle and there was nobody there and he just spun off the offensive line and took it around the end yeah. for a nice run. Yeah. That's an impressive play. Um, and the bottom line is you can scheme things up as much as you want to as a coach, but you got to have players who can make plays. I mean that that's the bottom line. You gotta have guys who can go up and catch a ball in traffic like Cam Phillips did, break tackles like uh, like uh, McLeese did. So I'm looking forward to seeing more from him. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting some of the wide receivers involved. I want to see Jalen Holston run the football. I know he got him in on special teams the other night, but not as a running back. I'm looking forward to see what he can do with the ball in his, ball in his hands because he's a, he's a big physical back. This game is definitely an interesting time to see what Jalen can do with the ball. One, one thing I re- want to note real quick, I think we all kind of expected the same types of games after the Tennessee game last year, and Tech immediately came out and started blowing teams away. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. Maybe maybe we see that kind of game on Saturday. You know, yeah, we're only in year two of, of Fuente's, you know, head coaching the program. I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, uh, those blowouts last year surprised me. Especially the Boston College blowout. Yeah. I was I was really shocked by that after one. After 49 nothing, And then the very next week, or you beat Boston College 49 nothing, And then at halftime the very next week against East Carolina, it's 38 nothing. And I'm trying to do the math in my head. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to pull my phone out and get my calculator. I can't even do that math. How many, how many straight points has Tech scored? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just blowing people off. We're just crushing people. Exactly. I mean, so who knows, but maybe we'll see that, that type of game Saturday. All right, folks, that's all we got for you for the fourth episode of the TSL podcast. Make sure to read all of our coverage for the remaining of the week. We'll have our game preview tomorrow, courtesy of Chris Coleman and predictions from myself and Will Stewart, and we'll have full game coverage on Saturday as well. Follow me on Twitter at Ricky the Blue. Follow us on Twitter as a whole at, at Tech Sideline. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it, and we'll see you next time.